0: But you know, good and camp. You're listening to the and campaigns church politics podcast with Justin Gibney. That's me and the windy city representative, the baddest brother above the Mason Dixon line, the right reverend Christopher Butler. Now, Chris, w- we told the folks uh last week that we were, that you were coming to Atlanta. Uh You eventually did get your bags packed and make it out here, man. And I don't know about you, but I thought it was just a, a great time, man. We got to see, You know, brothers and sisters that we, you know, uh, from Lisa Fields, Esau Macaulay, Vince Bantu, uh, Jackie Hill Perry, Preston, all these folks, uh, Charlie Dates. And then I think the highlight was for sure was that revival. I thought the revival was awesome, but definitely want to get your feelings on last week in the orthodoxy and orthopraxy gathering.
1: Yeah, it was uh, it was really great. I mean, it was uh, the whole weekend to me is is almost revival esque. You know, it was uh, just refreshing to be uh, with so many people who are doing this work in so many different uh, places and through so many different means. Uh, and then, like you said, the the revival. I can only say, if you were close enough to get there and you didn't, man, you missed it. it was uh it was incredible man there was there was singing that you're not gonna get everywhere you and lisa and dr cj rhodes uh and pastor charlie dates i mean everybody uh just brought it so hard uh at the revival and it was really if you do this work it can be uh a little bit taxing and that was a revival in the truest sense of the word Uh, It was impossible to leave there without being just encouraged and uh, uplifted and and refreshed
0: to run this race, you know, a little bit longer. So I'm glad for it. Yeah, it it was great. Um, And just so you guys know, the orthodoxy and orthopraxy gathering is really about what we call a renaissance of orthodoxy. Uh, We want Christians to understand the beauty of orthodoxy, understand that it's not it doesn't just come from. Uh, majority circles that that orthodoxy has long been a part of how um, black Christians and others do uh, uh, go about the faith. And it's really important. And with that orthodoxy, you need to have that orthopraxy. So we had a a really good time, a lot of fellowship, some strategic planning moving forward, and it was really good. And then we also got to spend some time with our new fellows for the um, Christian Civic Leadership Academy, got to meet them, they got to meet each other, And this is just going to be a really good cohort. I'm really excited about what they're doing. So great times. Hopefully y'all can make it next year. This will be an annual uh, kind of event. Hopefully y'all can make it to that that uh, revival next year. The other thing that and real quick, uh, Justin,
1: just I wanted to shout out the um, just the leadership of the campaign uh, yourself, the board. Pastor Oshabar Hartman and the whole team down there who helped organize everything. Uh, Not only was it so refreshing, I mean, it was just really well put together. Things were organized and it was a great experience. So shout out to the team, uh, too, for helping put that together.
0: Yeah, for sure. Our team did an excellent job. They worked uh, really hard to get that going for anybody who throws events knows how how much work goes into that. And everybody was committed and did a really good job. So I I would have to uh, agree with you on that one. Now, something else that happened, and we won't go too deep into it because we just talked about it, um, but last week, I believe it was, we talked about Elon Musk trying to buy Twitter. Well, well, he has bought Twitter, and as predicted, Twitter has erupted. I mean, folks are (laughs) going all in. As usual, folks are taking sides and uh, making their feelings felt. You got folks like uh, uh, Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn, uh, who said, this is a great day to be a conservative on Twitter. Uh, And so a lot of conservatives were really feeling like this was a huge win for them. It's interesting because Elon Musk isn't, from my understanding, really a conservative, but I guess he is going hard on the idea of free speech on Twitter. You had some folks on the other side who were basically saying, I'm leaving, I'm out of here. And so that's interesting. We'll see how many people actually end up leaving. And and I told you before, I, I don't really have I'm not really taking any side on this. The jury is still out uh, for me. I'm not a huge fan, fan of Elon Musk. Again, I think he should pay um, uh, taxes in a in, in a in a way that's uh, proportionate to how much that uh, he makes. Um, but but the jury's still out on how he will run Twitter. I think some of the folks who were it was interesting because I think some of the folks who were saying they're going to get off Twitter. I was trying to figure out exactly why. Uh some articulated it as, hey, you got this really, really rich guy who thinks he can just buy up everything. And I hear that, but it's not like Twitter was run by the proletariat before, you know, he bought it from, right? It, it was run by a group of rich people. Uh, and now he's a rich guy who's who's gonna be running it uh privately. So I don't I don't necessarily get that argument. There were some other other arguments that folks tried to tie kind of race into that. I just wasn't buying it because I don't think that's what the issue is in this uh conversation. We'll see what happens. I'm certainly not afraid of free speech. Uh, Obviously, we don't want people getting harassed. But what I think people miss about Twitter, unless he changes this, is that you can mute people. You can uh, block people. And so really, you know, you don't have to put up with people just talking to you any kind of way. You can get stuff out of your feed. So even if you even if you don't think he's regulating it quite enough for you, there's ways to kind of regulate it and, and, and moderate. Uh, The site yourself. But like I said, the jury's still out for me. I don't necessarily buy the the money conversations. You know, this is a big company. It was going to be bought by somebody who had a lot of money. Right. It's not like, you know, the people were running it beforehand. So to me, and I could be wrong to me, it just sounds like folks were kind of choosing sides and kind of running with whatever narrative was there. And then you have folks that just love the outrage and we're gonna, you know, they were outraged and then trying to find the reason. Wait, what what are we outraged about? You know, tell tell me what's going on. And and that that was part of it too. Some people, it was earnest. If you want to get off of Twitter and that's your thing, I ain't mad at you. Uh go ahead and go ahead and get off. Um, I was just trying to figure out in some instances why people were so up in arms. Like I said, I'm just gonna wait to see how he uh how he runs the thing. Go ahead, Chris.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a wait and see game for sure on how he runs Twitter. You know, I we talked about it last week. I think that you know, Elon Musk buying Twitter may uh, produce a slightly better, you know, Twitter environment. But ultimately, we're in a bad spot if we have to depend on uh, billionaires of any ilk to uh, moderate the public discourse uh, in this country. So I, I think that there needs to be a little bit broader uh, action from government uh, to Sort of modernize our uh, conversation around free speech, public discourse, and the platforms where that's taking place in today's environment.
0: Yeah, I mean, hopefully, it's a place where you know it, it does. Hopefully, it becomes better. We'll see. I, I agree with you. I don't see this as really the the panacea to everything, or that this is ju- just going to fix all the problems we had with Twitter or the public square in general. But we will see. Hopefully, it's a place where uh, civic pluralism kind of thrives. Uh, but only time will tell. Speaking of uh, civic pluralism though as always i want to give a shout out to our sponsor the fetzer institute for supporting us in what we do and how we do it so we appreciate that partnership but we got some stuff to talk about so as always folks grab your bible get your mind right and prepare to think not like a republican not like a democrat but think like a christian folks all right first issue michigan state senator mallory McMurro. Uh, gave a fiery speech, Chris, that eventually went viral last week. Now, the stated objective of her address was to reclaim faith from people who were using it as a we- as a weapon of hate. She was responding to her counterpart, uh, Michigan State Senator uh, Lena Theus who accused defenders of LGBTQ rights of being groomers or people who indoctrinate children with transgender ideology and the like. Now, for those of you who listen to us quite a bit or listen to us the last few weeks, you know that a a few weeks ago, uh, Chris and I warned against Christians kind of mindlessly throwing around broad labels like some of our conservative brothers and sisters are doing very liberally these days when it comes to this particular issue. Some of the messaging has been very erratic. It's been poorly expressed. But what makes it even more concerning is that it's coming from some fairly influential circles uh, on the Christian right. Now, let's let's be very clear about this. Pedophilia is no joking matter. Grooming children is no joking matter. It's not something that should be trifled with on either side of the conversation. But some of our more conservative uh, brothers and sisters need to do, in my opinion, need to do better. Uh, and understanding, just talking about the issue and expressing the issue. Right. Uh, I don't think they do themselves any favors or the issue any favors in being sloppy and loose with all these kind of allegations. If we're just throwing around allegations, then I think people can see that and see it's becoming pretty reckless. OK. And 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 I'll say this too Chris, please don't bring the Christian faith into the conversation just to manipulate things and to make it seem like the religion is really what's motivating your outrage, lack of discipline and your lack of precision with words. That has nothing to do with the faith. All right? Christ isn't the motivation for such foolishness in my opinion. It's fear. It's clout chasing because we got a lot of clout chasing politicians unfortunately. And it's a mean spirit that looks nothing like Jesus. OK, so that's not to say that this issue is can, completely made up or anything like that, but it's the way some people are expressing it. That's not doing justice to the faith nor to their side of, of the conversation. And I think that we have to learn how to address serious issues without reaching for the most incendiary and demonizing language we can find. Trust me, if you articulate something well and with passion, you can get through to people without all these, you know, all this uh, other stuff that we need, we tend to need, feel like we need to add to the conversation, because in many instances, all you're doing when we break it down is bearing false witness. And we talked about this uh, before to put false labels on somebody or a label that doesn't fit is bearing false witness and you're casting unfair aspersions and it needs to stop. It's not helping the argument again, and it's certainly not helping the faith. Um, I think those who are truly worried about what's being taught in schools uh, and the role that some lawmakers are playing should make sure that their aim is more accurate and should take the time to address the issue in a more civil manner. I think it'll do better in the long run Now, in the short run. You may go viral. You may you know, you may get a pat on the back from your ideological peers, but that's not probably not the best way to go about it long term uh, because because you can end up undermining what would otherwise be. A legitimate issue. So, again, we go back to uh, state Senator McMorrow, who I believe is a Democrat, and she was interviewed. She was uh, interviewed recently after all this stuff, after she her speech went viral. She was interviewed by Religion News. And in that interview, which was pretty thorough, they talked about how she was raised in the Catholic Church. Uh, they talked about how she had how she saw the faith and how she had gone through some church hurt with uh, her mother. And I think we should all be uh, compassionate towards those type of stories. We should pay attention to them because, unfortunately, they're not as unique as maybe we wish they were. Uh, And so we need to listen to those type of testimonies and really take some thought as to how we can prevent them. But she went on to say that she identifies as a Christian. But doesn't attach herself to any specific faith. That was odd to me, Chris, I I didn't really know exactly what to make of that. Uh, She then kind of ran down her support for several tenets of progressive orthodoxy on sexual orientation and gender identity, again, after saying that she identifies as a Christian but isn't attached to a specific faith. Interesting. Um, I don't know about you, Chris, but I think that this back and forth kind of highlights two of the primary depictions, and I'd say unfortunate depictions, of Christianity uh, that we often see in politics. The one that I think McMorrow was fighting against is the one that expresses the faith as the foundation of an enraged, vitriolic and belligerent public witness. And the and then the other one, which it seems like uh, McMorrow represents, presents the faith, presents a faith that is expressed in such nominal terms as to be indiscernible from partisan and ideological peers. Um, And I think in both instances, it seems faith is being used as an identifier to to further a point. But major parts of the substance of the faith are missing. And I think that is problematic. The faith is being used to carry the water of an ideology. Right. So if one's faith is indiscernible from conservatism, then you're justified in being cold towards certain groups that don't agree with you. When your faith is uh, entangled with progressivism, then you can embrace a distorted form of, of love that ignores God's design for human sexuality and identity. And at that point, you're serving an ideology. You're not serving God. So in, 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 in on both sides of this conversation, we're not saying either is right, certainly. But you see faith being brought up, not f- not necessarily for faith's sake. It seems like for it's, it's It seems like it's only furthering an ideology. Now, Chris, I'm not into telling any anybody whether they should or can call themselves Christian. Um, I think that's a waste of time. If you disagree with somebody, telling them what they should be able to call themselves is not going to get you anywhere. But I will say that I do think that the word, the label, should mean something substantive, right? It, It should tell us something about you, right? You're not just using the word just to use it to say that i call myself christian but i don't attach myself to any particular faith is just a contradiction right it 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 empties out the term to where it really means nothing um that's like me saying you know i could say that i'm a vegan after i ate a steak but the truth of the matter is that's disingenuous like i'm not telling people what they thought i meant when i said i was um when i said i was, was a vegan right i i've emptied out that term to where it doesn't really mean much And that's pretty much the same thing that you see all the time now with somebody saying I'm a Christian, but I really I really disregard all the tenets of Christianity, except for some, again, very loose concept of love that just happens to align with everything, every progressive stance. Right. So now, again, McMorrow said that she was reclaiming the faith from those who use it as a weapon of hate. And I think that's something important to do. Right. I think those people certainly need to be addressed because that is not the faith. So in that she was right. But if we look closely and we closely read the interview. She's not actually reclaiming the faith in any substantive way. Right. It seems like it's just kind of being used to uh, to to further a more ideological perspective, even if some of the things she said needed to be said. What do you think, Chris?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think that uh, you're you know, completely right, you know, at least in in my view, in terms of these two images of Christianity that right now are being portrayed in our politics. And I think what it highlights more than anything uh, is the need for what we, you know, try to advance this weekend, this renaissance uh, in orthodoxy and orthopraxy, uh, because these two caricatures of Christianity, the christian faith the church the christian community uh are not all there is to be seen and to be sort of demonstrated in our politics there is a way and i think there's a need to reclaim you know much of christian witness in civics and in politics uh, because as you have already laid out well justin there is a a real need to show that you can hold forth convictions and hold to convictions. Biblical convictions that are deeply rooted in in Bible interpretation and in, uh, historic Christian ethics um, and and all those types of things, uh, without being particularly mean, without being particularly uh, insensitive, without being able to listen uh, to the needs and concerns of people who do not identify with that biblical Christianity uh, have elected not to live according to that biblical Christianity, uh, which is a dynamic that we call civic pluralism, something that I think we hold to really uh, closely. And there's a way to be about what we believe in the public square uh, and not be mean about it, uh, but to to let the pendulum swing all the way to the other side uh, where our view and depiction of love becomes formless and without any standard and the only way that you can be loving uh is to agree and to capitulate and to affirm uh everything that anybody does or says is right um that is also a caricature of of the christian faith it's uh i think it's uh Charlotte Dates, I saw, tweeted this, and I I think I retweeted it, but he said real simply, the Bible says that God is love, not that love is God, which seems to suggest that our uh, ideas about love should be informed about what we know about God, not the other way around. Um, And there has to be a way that we can come into the public square, not compromise our values, hold forth our convictions, and still, you know, be deeply committed, really, I guess, to, to the whole breadth of our convictions, because I would say that is part of my Christian conviction that LGBTQ people shouldn't be discriminated against, shouldn't be oppressed or pushed down in the culture in any way. I would say that that actually extends from my Christian conviction. And so there is a fulsome way to come into the public space uh, and do this. And I would just say, Justin, to, to finish this up. We need more people in the public space. We need more people in the government who can come in and actually reclaim this space, uh, so that you don't have people—I mean, who are confessedly—I mean, if you listen to the uh, interview, confessedly not really a a person of I, let me not say not a person of faith, but certainly not a person of biblical conviction, right? And and what you're really coming at is not somebody who's saying that, you know, their sort of undefined uh, faith uh, pushes them toward this sort of meanness, Uh, but somebody who's saying that their biblical faith is what requires the rage and the meanness. And so what you really need is not somebody who can come in with this uh, fairly innocuous sort of nebulous faith thing, uh, but people who can come in and say, no, We are biblical Christians, and because of the Bible, we are going to hold to the full breath as as far as we can. We are not perfect, but we're going to stand up for the full breath of biblical conviction. Uh, And the more we step into the space, the less opportunity, I think, uh, that there is uh, for the pendulum to keep swinging from one side to the other.
0: Yeah, because there's, you know, there's this kind of movement on the left to say, take back. Faith and Christianity from political conservatives, and I think you and I can have a certain appreciation for that to say, okay you don't have to be a conservative Republican to be a real Christian. Right. So there's something to that we would we would identify with with that to some extent. But then when you look at it it deeper, What it really seems to be saying is, hey, you can be a Christian and agree with everything secular progressivism says. Right. When you look deep, more deeply, sometimes that's what it seems to be saying. Sometimes they're saying, hey, take a seat at the at this Christian table, at that table of faith, even without believing any of the things as it it applies to morality. Sometimes that's kind of what you hear. And I think we do need to push about back about that. We need back on that. We need to push back on both of these characters because. The irate, always enraged, always nasty, always mean, always trying to find political power that caused this other state senator to to call her a groomer and go in on on all that is certainly not the Christianity that I know. It's not the biblical Christianity and the orthopraxy, as you pointed out, that I know. But the alternative to that is not to have something that is completely uh, 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 undiscernible from secular progressivism right so uh, to your point because that lacks the orthodoxy it lacks the doctrine if you don't have any of the doctrine you can call yourself whatever you want to again i'm not one to tell you what you call yourself but at, but per the substance of christianity you're not really really fitting that and i don't know if you know unwittingly she kind of showed that that she wasn't really within that faith you know standing by that faith tradition or not but i think it really does uh, hurt the witness to to speak about Uh, Christianity in that way. And the other thing that, you know, McMorrow kind of pointed out, she you know, she called the other lady's faith performative. And I think to some extent it is performative. To some extent it is just about cultural Christianity and what you're supposed to say and tying that uh, to conservatism. But at the end of the day, both of those were kind of performative because both of those to me were primarily serving political ends or primarily serving ideological ends rather than serving the kingdom and rather trying to rather than trying to do what was best at the moment so you know we saw that this uh the statement went viral i think there were some things in McMorris' statement that were right and correct and needed to be called out but when you dig deeper into the faith that she said she was trying to reclaim it just wasn't there i'll let you take us out chris
1: i mean it is it's unfair to say that you're reclaiming something that you don't really identify with so maybe it is that you're holding forth a different sort of faith tradition, which again I'm deeply committed to civic pluralism if you ascribe to a broad sense of you know faith uh, where it's all about for you sort of being moral and giving back and and those types of things, hey you know we we can have other conversations about, you know, if you want to talk to me about learning about biblical Christianity, we can do that, you know, in in various spaces. But when it comes to the space and the representation of biblical Christianity, orthodox Christianity, you can't necessarily say that you're reclaiming that if you just put orthodoxy aside, you know, and like I said before, what to God, there are more people who are actively trying to reclaim that space by admitting the lapses and orthopraxy that we have seen among our brothers. Cause that's, that's the the piece, Justin, and, and we got to go to the next piece, but there is a fellowship inside of Orthodox Christianity uh, that I cannot easily put aside. Uh, even when I see, uh, you know, These horrible lapses in judgment and outright sin, you know, in Christian circles, those who are within the faith, uh, there is a fellowship uh, and there is a, a, a brotherhood that prevents us from doing certain things. I said this from the pulpit on Sunday. It is not wrong to be an activist. I think that it is right to be an activist. I fancy myself something of an activist, but it is wrong to be a slanderer. It is wrong to be incessantly unkind. Kindness and patience and gentleness is still the fruit of the spirit. And so we have to practice those things. We have to own up to the fact that we ourselves, each of us at times, and many within our fellowship have not practiced those, uh, points that orthopraxy uh, very well. uh, And we have to be able to do that. That is the effort to reclaim Orthodox Christianity in the sort of civic space. But this thing of coming in from outside of that community of people committed to orthodoxy uh, and claiming uh, to reclaim, I think that's disingenuous and is to me as troubling as the other stuff that I just identified.
0: Yeah, and sometimes it's really a means of speaking to people who are kind of on the fence, and telling them, "No, you can come over here." It's you know, we're, we're Christians too, even if we don't uphold any of the tenets. We're Christians too, so so feel free to come over here and don't feel bad about going along with everything that progressives say because it's okay. I, I'm with you on that. So, interesting stuff, man. I'm sure this is an issue that that's not going away anytime soon. But we will be right back on the Church Politics podcast. And we are back on the Church Politics podcast. Chris, Proverbs 11 verse three says this: "The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity." Duplicity being uh, saying one thing and doing another, you know, misrepresentations and all that. Chris, I, I talk to my sons quite a bit about integrity, um, and I talk about it as being Really representing yourself, you know, being who you represent yourself to be. Right. Uh, Others being able to know that they can trust and rely on what you say and doing what's right, whether people see it or whether people are going to find out if you did it or not. Right. To me, that's what I see as integrity. And I try to instill in them that definition and reward when they do that, even if they do something wrong to say, I have the integrity to admit that. Well, as we both know, and we talk about this all the time, politics, unfortunately, is sometimes more full of duplicity than it is of integrity. People saying one thing and then saying another when it's convenient, people saying one thing and doing another. Uh, And the sad part of it, Chris, is we almost expect uh, politicians to act with a lack of integrity. Now, we know there's some that have integrity, but it's too often that they get away with not having it. Well, this week, I think we saw a prime example of this. Um, And I think it was a New York Times story. story. There was leaked a leaked audio in which Kevin McCarthy, who is the uh, House minority leader. He's a Republican and he's a former supporter of uh, President Trump. In this leaked audio, he's heard saying he would advise the former president to resign following the January 6th. Uh, 2020 insurrection at the 2021 insurrection at the Capitol. So basically, this supporter of Trump, after all this happened, says, I will advise him to resign after all this happened. Now, he wasn't the only Republican that took that position at the time. But what happened, Chris, Chris, as you know, was the base made it very clear that they were with Trump on this one, that they were standing behind him, regardless of what happened on January 6th. And as a result, many of the Republican leaders who said they had a problem initially with what Trump did and his role in January sixth started to change their tune. Uh, The story started to change when they saw that the base was not with them, and all the righteous indignation or the correction or the suggestions or the demands that they had for Trump very quickly changed. So keep in mind they have this audio, but here's here's what McCarthy had to say in a tweet about the story. The New York Times reporting on me is totally false and wrong. It comes as no surprise that the corporate media is obsessed with doing everything it can to further a liberal agenda. Bro, did somebody tell this dude that it's on audio? That this was recorded? So he didn't deny that that was his voice. He didn't say that all this, you know, was made up and they were just, he just said, he just pointed the finger over at Uh, The corporate media and their obsession with doing it, everything they can to further the liberal agenda. How long are we going to allow politicians to get away with stuff like this? Kevin McCarthy obviously does not want to stand on his words. Obviously, he's scared of the base and scared of Trump. He's trying to do some damage control. And instead of actually addressing the issue, he just says, hey, you know, they're the bad guy. So regardless of if you heard me or heard me on that audio or not, they're wrong. They're doing me wrong. They're up to something nefarious. As always, we got to do better. We got to demand a little more integrity from a lot more integrity from our elected officials, because this is just obviously wrong. And I'm not saying that people who, who love Trump, they should they should come down on them hard. I'm ta- I'm saying there should be a greater expectation for folks to be uh, more honest. How do you get caught on audi audio saying something like that and then just completely refuse to address the issue where it's at? I don't know, Chris, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is so obvious that it was when I was thinking about what to say about it, I was like, what can you say? It's on audio. Um, first, he said, I mean, the the integrity piece is so important. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still at the place where most of my boys, they're six and under, and I'm you know just trying to get them to see that like integrity is just integrated life you're the same everywhere, and you know you said you were gonna tell him to resign, then you said in other places over time specifically that you did not say that you were going to suggest that he resigned, then there's audio with you saying that you were going to suggest that he resigned uh and then you come back and try to suggest that even though there's audio of you saying something that you clearly said that you did not say that it doesn't matter or that it doesn't exist. And I do, you know, sort of just get the question, I guess, in my mind, what will it take? This to me should be uh, an easy thing where you've got to, move along right like you've broken the public trust and you probably should have to move along and i'm not convinced that there's no other person in the republican caucus who could who could lead uh, at this time that there's such a dearth of of leadership that the party wouldn't make it without kevin mccarthy um That the party couldn't make it at least with like some kind of like somebody have something to say uh, that this is wrong. It breaks the public trust and at least have an apology. Right. Like I, I, I won't get into, you know, the internal leadership politics of the Republican Party, but seems like there should be like at least an apology, some formal dealing with such an obvious breach of the public trust.
0: And we know this isn't a partisan issue. It, it happens, you know, uh, on, on either side all, all the time. Too often, let's say that. Um, but what what's even worse about it is I don't think his biggest issue from what I can tell in his statement was that and how his people have reacted was that he got caught in a lie. I think the biggest issue was, is Trump going to come at me over this? I got caught telling the truth. Right. And I'm on audio and what's Trump going to do about this? Let me clean this up so I don't have to get any smoke uh, from from Trump, who's not in office, but who obviously still has a, a huge following within the Republican base. And I think it brings up a problem that the Republicans are going to have for for some time. I mean, you got to have—I mean, you got to have people at the top say, "Hey, that's what I said. That is me on there," and you just explain why you said it, um, and and you and you go from there. But you got folks who aren't willing to stand by their word, who are going to back up and run away any you know, someone who's seen as a party leader might have something to say to them. That's a perfect recipe for just completely lacking all integrity in life, because especially as Christians, when we talk about your testimony and, and what you say and why it matters, that means regardless of what the threats are in front of you. If something needs to be said, if the truth needs to be said, or you said the truth, then you need to stand by it. And there are people in other countries that die. And we've talked about this, uh, that on this show young girls in Nigeria and other places who stand on their words, stand on their beliefs, and let God take care of the rest. That's yeah. faith. Go ahead, Chris.
1: Yeah. And it's, I, I want to say that this is not the only way to do this, right? Spin uh, is part of politics uh but when i was in public affairs consulting uh i used to say that my number one rule of public affairs is never try to make it seem like something is not Um, you know we have to face up with it is what it is once we've identified it you know there is work to you know finesse and massage but if this is what i said this is what i said Um, you know, maybe I said it because, you know, I was caught up in the heat of the moment. And as I reflected on it and saw the long-term impacts and learned more about what was happening that day, uh, you know, I changed my mind and that's not where I am anymore. Um, like those types of things, um, to me are more respectable than just outright trying to ignore it or say, oh, well, they're just trying to attack me. You know, those types of things are are crazy. And it, it, it reminds me of uh, one of the sort of uh, tenets and principles that is um, core to sort of the and campaign framework, which is that our witness is more important than the win. Um, because it, I think that as a person of faith uh, is the perfect opportunity to just model for the country in such a uh, visible role, I'm going to tell the truth. Uh, And the truth is going to actually win. And here, when I talk about telling the truth, I'm not even talking about like the truth about the election or what happened on January 6th and all that type of stuff. This is like basic truth. I am going to say these are the words that I say it and own the fact that I said these words. Now, maybe it is completely plausible that you said it then and you disagree with it now. People change their minds, especially, you know, as you get some distance between you and a significant event like January 6th. You know, you can change your mind. It is plausible to change your mind based on the fact of, hey, in my opinion, Trump's the leader of our party and this is the direction that he was leading in. I think it's, you know. If it's how you do your politics to go and say, you know, I thought it this way, but I went around and talked to people in the base of this party all over the country and in my district, and they convinced me otherwise. Like, there's so many ways to deal with this than just faking like you didn't say it.
0: Yeah. And here's where our role plays into it as well, because if you read into his statement, it seems like he's basically saying, if you hold me accountable, you're helping our enemy. Right. So if I point to them, if I point to the corporate media and I point to to liberalism, then I get a free pass. And that's what happens all the time. We give folks a free pass because we don't. Somehow it helps the enemy to hold our own side accountable. Um, A terrible way to look at uh, accountability when it comes to politics, but just accountability in life and culture in general. Right. Accountability helps helps your side um, and it, it makes it helps you maintain integrity which again seems to be at a premium in politics today. We will be right back on the church politics podcast. Are you too progressive for conservatives and too conservative for progressives? that give you a framework for engaging politics in a biblical way. So if you want to do it in a better way, get our book, compassion and conviction, the end campaigns guide to faithful civic engagement. And we are back on the church politics podcast with Justin Gibney and the right Reverend Christopher Butler. Uh, I read an interesting uh, blog post that I wanted to share with folks. Uh, Matthew, uh, Writer Matthew Iglesias, and I, I follow his stuff pretty closely. He has a blog called Slow Boring, and that's one of those blogs that, you know, I don't agree with everything Matthew says, and that's not really the prerequisite for us making these type of recommendations. But I do think in general, he's thoughtful and, and, and uh, works in good faith. But he had a piece on his blog uh, called The Misinformation Cope. And he starts uh, by talking about a speech that President Obama recently gave at the University of Chicago uh, during a seminar. And the seminar was on disinformation and the erosion of democracy. Uh, President uh, Obama's general message in this uh, seminar was that in recent years, we've seen how quickly disinformation spreads, especially on social media. And this has created real created real issues for our democracy. And you're beginning to hear this more and more, especially from Democrats, really pushing on the the disinformation and misinformation conversation and how it's, you you know, say hurting democracy. But a lot of times they're saying it's hurting it's hurting Democrats quite a bit. And there may be some to that. But this is how this is how Iglesias responds, who is, by the way, who is liberal, uh, who is on the left side of the conversation. He says this He said, I acknowledge that misinformation exists and that it's bad and that ideally everyone uh, we would want everyone to be well informed. But I also think that the structural biases of media and academia exaggerate this problem. Right. So, yes, it's a problem. Yes, it's bad. Yes, we want people to be well informed, but it's an exaggerated problem. In other words, it's not the reason why Democrats are losing. Um, He also says that he agrees with Michael uh, Slabby, that misinformation, that the misinformation focus uh, among Democrats feels like a self-exculpatory cope, cope, right? A self-exculpatory cope, like a coping method. How do I deal with the losses that we've taken and maybe the losses we're about to take? Uh, Slabby says this, he says, Democrats are also seemingly preparing to blame disinformation for an ongoing lack of clarity and imagination, for an unwillingness to see their culpability in losing hearts and minds uh, and failing to win them back for an inconsistent ability to deliver for the people. Failure of leadership is never the answer, right? They're never going to say they failed in leadership. It's the Russians, it's Trump, it's McConnell. And now disinformation is the, is the issue that they're using to cope. Uh, never a, It's never a lack of imagination, vision, organizing, effective long-term investment, investment being valuable to people and empathy. Whew, that's kind of heavy. So basically what I hear him saying is we're the good guys. If people don't believe us or support us, then it must be on account of something else. It must be on account of Russia or disinformation or something like that, because if they knew the truth, they certainly would be on our side. And I think that's a terrible way to look at politics Um, again. And nobody's on, on here saying that disinformation or misinformation isn't bad. But is it possible that it's exaggerated and really a means of coping with other failures? That's, inter- that's interesting to think about. What do you think about that, Chris?
1: I certainly don't agree with uh, Matt Iglesias on everything um, either, but uh, I really applaud uh, the piece that you're referring to because I, I think that it uh, aligns really well with my own critique of the Democratic Party uh, and sort of democratic leadership, you know in recent times, uh, this idea that you know the reason anything bad electorally ever happens to Democrats is because you know the people don't understand or the people uh, don't show up to vote or you know it's like the the people have failed the elites uh, over and over versus suggesting that the elites have maybe failed uh the broader cross section of people and i think that it is certainly more that those in power uh have just failed to deliver you know you're talking about misinformation but when you look and see that young people are walking away from the democratic party a party who ran on uh student loan forgiveness and you know making progress on the environment, and has done little to nothing uh, on those issues. Uh, you can't say that it's because they are misinformed. It seems to me that it is because they are informed. When you see working class and working poor, white people moving away from a party that has quickly gotten into the space of not only being unwelcoming of conservative Uh, social values, but actually actively critical and antagonistic uh, toward those values. And then you say that the reason those folks are walking away from the party is because they are misinformed. I would say that maybe it's because they are actually uh, informed. Uh, You know, there's uh, one report that came out to show that families who received the child tax credit for six months and then had that child tax credit, um, advance payments taken away from their day-to-day financial situation, um, those families swung, you know, almost like a, a U away from the party. Uh, and it's not because they were misinformed. It was because they were informed by their own experience. Um, and if, if the Democratic Party is unwilling to be self-reflective um, and think about some of these things, as opposed to just you know going on and saying, oh well, you know, it's misinformation, and people think that uh, you know all of the teachers are you know grooming their kids, and they're so afraid because all the misinformation, uh, and that's why they're leaving the party. If they just knew what we know, you know that that we're innocent and. You know, that there's really nothing that we can do, even though we've controlled both houses of Congress and the presidency. Like it's it is a cult, in my view. Um, It is. In in my view, it's worse than a cult. It's complete nonsense. And I think that folks who are willing to bring this conversation, I love the way that Iglesias lays it out, because it's not just opinion. I mean, he he walks through some of the facts because the facts just simply belie the narrative. Right, like the when you look at the actual people uh that the party is losing, there are actual things that have taken place or not taken place that absolutely inform a logical response on the part of those communities to say, you know, I'm gonna go, I'm either gonna become less passionate in my support, or I'm gonna go find
0: uh something else to do with my political energy. And this assumption that it comes from, Chris, I think is almost innate in progressivism, which if you get to the bottom of it, progressivism says eventually everybody will see, you know, as people evolve, as people become smarter and more informed, they will agree with us. Right. We've got this right. And as people progress, they come over to this side. And it's assumption that just has not come true. Uh, I don't think it's a historic. I don't think historically that, that that's true. Uh, The other thing that he says is, look, disagreement is not disinformation. To your point, people see what they see you putting these elite social issues above economic issues. They see you, you know, um, not delivering on the things that that happen. And this is this is not to say that we could just stand up and say, man, but look how the Republicans have delivered on everything. That's not the message. But you can't you got to be very careful of always finding a scapegoat. Right. Always finding something that prevents you from having the hard conversation to say, guess what? Maybe our perspective just isn't as common sense or just isn't like as inevitable as we thought it was. And we need to actually talk to the people and get to know them, because I think even with all this, like I said before, within all of this is a sort of elitism, too, that you already know what's best and. Only because people don't know that much or have been misled are they not at the same point that you're at. I think that's very dangerous and needs to change.
1: Yeah, you can't just say that your point of view and your sort of structure of analysis of life and politics constitutes information, right? People may not be looking at the same information, quote unquote, that you're looking at because when you think about information, you think about what's being taught in universities um, and this sort of, uh, you know, liberal arts education version of information. But folks are interpreting the information uh, that they have. Uh, and when you are living life you know, and, and you see what happens in your financial situation for six months, you get a child tax credit advancement uh, and then that advance goes away. And your financial situation changes. That experience, in the context of uh, you know research, is what we call data, right? And you look around your community and you see other people having that experience. Uh, you are all the time gathering data, uh, and that's information. And people are using that information—the information that they find in their own lives, the information that they find in their uh, own experience, uh, the information that. You know, when I'm a, I'm a pastor, I stand up and preach uh, every Sunday in church, uh, uh, trying to exegete the biblical text. That's information, you know, and people are gathering those inf- that information and they're making decisions about it. And our refusal, the refusal of the party to listen to that information um, is, is a critical problem. And you can't just call it misinformation. Because folks are choosing to include in their analysis
0: information that you don't include in yours. And don't mistake your interpretation of the information for the information itself. So people might have the same information and draw a different conclusion or have a different interpretation. And what I hear some people saying, if you don't come to the same conclusion as me or draw, you know, or or have the same interpretation, then you must have been misinformed. Um, and again, nobody's saying this is not an issue. We know social media does it all over. One of the, the points made in the article though is there's always been a good amount of people who've been misinformed, right? That's not necessarily something new, although we because we do have social media, maybe it spreads a little faster in some instances. But if you look throughout history, there's been misinformation all over, and that's not just on one side of the argument either. Yeah, the, the
1: increased access to information has increased the access to misinformation. Um, But you also got to acknowledge that, you know, there's increased access to all information. I mean, you know, there was a time in this country where, you know, the president's speech, if you weren't by the radio, uh, when the president made the speech, you missed it. Right. Um, So. People have information. Right. We have to be open to different people's interpretation of the information. Um, And we have to be open to including in our analysis other available information than just the specific sets of uh, information that we think are important.
0: That's real, man. Well, another good conversation. We always appreciate y'all for joining us on the church politics podcast. We got more to give again. We're about to start these premium uh, um, um, episodes. Where only people who are on or who are supporting us over Patreon are going to be able to access them. So again, if you haven't already become a patron, you can go to patreon.com dot slash Church Politics, give some money, and when we start coming out with these episodes, uh, you'll you'll have access to them. But also, you'll be able to kind of recommend some subjects and, and some things that you some topics that you want us to talk about. So just join the movement. Uh, again, we we thank you all for coming out, and as usual, and Camp. There's a cross that neither political conservatism nor progressivism is fit to bear. There's a civic hearing in the need of faithful witnesses who love social justice and won't surrender the truth to be loved by the world. Politic with the boldness and compassion of Jesus Christ. Until next time, Ann Campbell.
1: Hallelujah.